and welcome back to Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and lately it's been insane because I've been working my way through a mega series all about Batman and Superman as part of a 13 part series leading up to the theatrical release of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Yes. What you're listening to right now is the final chapter in that series. This is episode 141, Batman v Superman, Super Friends by Way of Richard Wagner. And here once again, I'm joined by John M. Wilson to discuss our initial thoughts concerning Batman v Superman. So, hey, John, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. You know, I look back on this series and I think about where we were when we recorded some of the episodes. I mean, way the hell back in... Superman Earth 1 Volume 3 whenever this was such a distant, distant expectation. And then we got together to do that. Um, the trailer recording was the most recent thing we did, even though it was really early in the series. And <laughs> and even then, this seemed like it would just never get here. It was so close. And now we've finally seen the movie. And as we record here in our bunker, while the internet apocalypse rains down around us, yes. um, uh, it, it's good to get a chance to just sit here and talk about the movie. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I got to say, you know, when I started thinking about it, you and I are both taking a little bit of a risk here because neither of us really knows what the other one is planning to say. And so, this is true. <laughs> so there's a very good chance this entire episode could blow up right in our faces. <laughs> you, we, we have been on very similar pages for a lot of this stuff, which... Um, apparently has still made for pretty decent listening because I've gotten some really good feedback on our Man of Steel retrospective. Uh-huh. Um, and and so... But it, but if we if we have different points of view here, that, that, that can be good too. I promise not to t- insult you when you're wrong. Oh, well, thank you very much. I, I really do appreciate that. And, and yeah, you know, the, uh, the reaction to, to like this series in general, but especially the Man of Steel retrospective we did, I mean, the outpouring of it's almost love. I just it's it's tremendous, man. It's it's tremendous. I mean, I've had people crawling out of the woodwork that either I haven't heard from in a very long time or else I've just fucking never even met before. Mm-hmm. Like met in quotation marks on Facebook, never even met these guys before and you know, I've gotten messages from them too. So my cousin friended you. Oh, um I apologize. Uh, maybe I'm blanking on that. Who is your cousin? Initials MM Ah, okay, yes, I know who you're talking about. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay, well, that's great. See, I didn't know that. I mean, I kind of figured it was, like, related to this, but I, I, I the the familial bond there I was not aware of, so, oops. But, Actually, he's my wife's cousin. Ah, well, there you Okay, so it's more like but, a... But, but he, he, he and I are good friends. Like a cousin but, yeah, I mean, law. we're all our own person, so y'all, y'all have y'all's conversations. That's totally cool. Yeah. Now, uh, you kind of touched on it a minute ago. I, I don't want to get too far into, I guess, you know, controversy and all that stuff, but basically... Yeah, it would be fair to say that there's been um, a little bit of an interesting reaction to this movie and the release thereof <laughs> all across Facebook. And I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to, you know, even allude to some of the stuff that's been said because I don't want anyone to believe they're being criticized because they're not. But, you know, I guess in the interest of uh, perhaps journalistic integrity, it does need to be said that, yes, there's been some controversy here. And. I don't think the fact that the movie is already at something like 450 some odd million worldwide right now 
after what's it like four days of release i don't think that's going to do all that much to diminish some of the bile and vitriol that's going on but we do kind of have to acknowledge yeah that is going on and it's uh it's actually kind of starting to make 2013 look a little bit puny at the rate things are going so i don't know we'll have to see how things play out but at least in terms of like behind the scenes stuff and after this we will get into the discussion um this could actually be the smallest window of time between you know the time when a show is recorded versus the time that it's being released because i'm fucking releasing this thing same day so you know there's not gonna be a whole lot of frills no promos no nothing like that i'm basically gonna release this this show and without even i can't i don't even have time to do a quality control check it's fucking going out the door so uh here's hoping this turns out all right now in case it's like live radio we're just gonna record it and send it (laughs) pretty much sounds good we'll try to limit the dead air then um it's probably worth saying at the outset that um the man of steel retrospective was five hours after two years plus of cogitation um after two days of thinking about this film we're we're not going to go for nearly as long (laughs) yeah no And, and and you know in relation to that um first off let me start off by saying that yes their spoilers are going to be found in great supply here so if you're trying to avoid spoilers just my recommendation don't even fucking listen to this this show because there's no way we're going to be able to avoid spoilers that kind of defeats the purpose anyway this is for the people who've seen it and want to hear other thoughts and people who haven't seen it yet and maybe don't want to just kind of want to know what they're missing yeah and the other thing is this as John kind of said a, a second ago, this isn't going to be necessarily our final word on Batman v Superman. These are just initial impressions. And so what John and I agreed to is a kind of rough structure where we talk about first, all things related to Batman. Second, all things related to Superman. Third, whatever miscellaneous bullshit is still left over after that time. So I guess with, with definitely the, some Wonder Woman talk in there along the way. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I've, I've got a, a decent amount to say, but in a, in, a, in a way that's actually complementary to the film, not as much as you might think. But I guess to, to get into it, I guess in terms of, you know, your just initial reaction to Batman, all right? The universe of Batman as it's presented in, in Batman v Superman, John, what exactly were your initial impressions there? What were you thinking? This is a Batman who's been doing this for 20 years. He's had a lot of... Um, pain along the way but uh, most especially over the last couple of years he's really gone downhill the preview comic actually comments a bit how batman has changed since metropolis um and so i think we have a man who is not in the same place he was when he took up the cape and cowl and when maybe when he trained robin and all that sort of stuff um and so this batman is a bit rougher mm-hmm. and it looks like in the future he's going to get rougher still but that happens with dystopian futures where uh, evil demigods from Apocalypse rule the world. So that's okay. Um, you know, I really liked Bruce Wayne's acting, mm-hmm. uh, Ben Affleck's acting as Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. I loved Alfred oh, and just yeah. how, <laughs> how snarky he was to Batman. Um, I liked his vehicles. That was a really cool plane configuration with a little um, uh, front wing that allowed him to sort of um, George Reeves off of it into the window. Yes. And um, 
I mean, yeah, as far as just basics, that that's those are my thoughts on and we can talk about the whole killing thing in a minute in detail if you want to, but those are those are my overall thoughts on Batman. Right. And you know, I oddly enough I kinda echo that and you know I I really can't help but sort of flash back to I guess it was about two years ago or something like that, or maybe two and a half years ago when word first came down the pipeline that not only was Batman going to be in this movie, but specifically he would be portrayed by Ben Affleck in the sort of internet apocalypse that unfolded after that. Seems like that's kind of fallen from sight. You know, what I've noticed is there's just not as much controversy about that now as compared to, like I say, about two, two and a half years ago. And... It could just be that fandom has actually found bigger fish to fry. But in my heart of hearts, what I want to believe is that Affleck has actually proved his critics wrong. You know, that's that's what I want to believe. Now, whether or not that's true, who the hell knows? But, you know, one of my favorite Batman movies of all time is actually Batman Forever. And at the beginning of that movie, you know, what we see is a Batman that's kind of lost the point. You know, so much of this has become kind of artificial to him. He's not as engaged by his mission as he used to be. He's kind of going through the motions. And on the one hand, he can't go to quite the degree of of becoming full supervillain. But there's a virtuous, noble ideal that he started out with that he's completely lost sight of. Mm -hmm. And I would say that a good deal of... Batman Forever's runtime is basically Bruce Wayne trying to figure out a way to resolve all of that in a way that's not going to get him killed. And so at the end of the movie, whenever he says, I am both Batman and Bruce Wayne now because I choose to be, this is no longer his curse. This is something that he's affirmatively choosing to do so that whenever Batman and Robin starts up and we see a kind of a more Adam West Batman, this is a guy that's become very much at peace with who he is and his place in the world. And what I think we're seeing in Batman v Superman is a guy that at one point went on a very fucking similar journey, but reached a very different conclusion. This is a guy <laughs> that, I mean, he's so far beyond hope. And we're talking, I, I would say maybe even by the time of the Metropolis battle shown in Man of Steel, this is a guy with very little hope in his life. But Metropolis, it looks like, really pushed him over the edge that not only is what he is his vocation as Batman is that a little bit of a hopeless endeavor now they're just you know there's no hope for him personally now there may not be any fucking hope for the for the entire human race and so this is a guy who's I would say kind of wrestling against the very darkest temptations and and hopelessness of uh, of the human soul this is a guy that and I think this is maybe made manifest in his kind of callous disregard in some sense for human life. There are very few instances in this movie where Batman takes human life directly. There are very few instances where he goes out of his way to spare human life, even if, it, if such is within his power to do. He doesn't mind indirectly killing people, but it's the rare moment in this movie where he affirmatively chooses to brutally take human life. And... Honestly, that fits into the way I've always seen Batman anyway. I've always kind of thought the idea of a guy who takes every single other aspect of 
criminal justice into his own hands in the most brutal fashion possible. What, this guy's going to arbitrarily draw the line at taking life? C come on, guys. You know, uh, I I just, I don't buy that. I've never bought that. And from the looks of things... And, 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 and if you take the whole of Batman history, mm -hmm. it's it's not necessarily a standard. I mean, I, I, I will buy a stance against guns much more readily than a stance against killing. But even that, we've seen Batman in this movie move to a place where that is not necessarily something he holds as highly anymore. Agreed. And I, I, and I think the word anymore is kind of important there because this is a 20-year-old Batman who's had a lot of pain and suffering. And, and I don't know about you, Magnus, but over the course of my aging and development into a, you know, larger, wiser human being than I was whenever I popped out of my, you know, a uterus. Mm -hmm. I've changed my worldview. I've changed my opinions on things and things I once held highly. I now don't. Mm -hmm. And things I once held as taboo. I now enjoy. So I think it's worth pointing out that Batman can have changed and that the Batman that, you know, some people expected to see very well, maybe this man's past, but things have gotten darker since then in his life. Um, well, one of the – sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I made the joke earlier about you know the, the dark future apocalypse you know, being a, a place where maybe it's okay to use guns. But I, I, kind, of, I kind of mean that sincerely that if, if, if that Batman nightmare that we saw is actually a tease of events in the future, mm -hmm. then um, – if your world has gone to pot, then maybe your need to not kill the monsters gets set aside. I agree. And, you know, this idea of, you know, Batman holding, you know, human life and I guess sort of viewing it in sort of sacrosanct terms. I always kind of thought of that as of all people, I think he would be able to compartmentalize, you know. I think he would be able to say to himself, well, right now we are at war. And so the usual niceties that I'd like to abide by are not possible in this moment. And so I have to find a different way to win. And so I've actually read – I can't take total credit for this. I mean there is an obvious – you know, with that vision of the flash and everything, there is a sort of obvious – I guess, overture being made toward Crisis on Infinite Earths and, and all of that. But one of the things that I've kind of wondered about is, did is it possible that The Flash succeeded in what he set out to do in this film? In other words, the dystopian future that he was attempting to head off, he successfully headed off in this movie because he kept saying that Lois Lane is the key. Listen to her. She's got the answer. And then in the crucial moment, whenever he's about to decapitate Superman, he listens to Lois, and that is what turns the tide. And so maybe before Superman was going to be uh, killed anyway, and then come back from the dead anyway, and then be in the service of Darkseid simply because that's the only way to protect uh, to protect the planet Earth, 
since Batman spared Superman, now they're they're actually able to to instead of being alienated from one another as they clearly were in that sort of nightmare scenario, mm-hmm. now they really can be a team. And it's Lois Lane that enabled all of that with an assist from the Flash. So interesting. That's not how I read that, but that that's definitely you know a possible way for it to play out. I saw it as um, well. My interpretation of that nightmare scene has metamorphosed since I saw the film because I've gotten to see it a couple times now. And um, at first, I was thinking that he was blending his current mission with some sort of weird vision from the future. So he was, he was blending premonition and memory hmm. um, because of the uh, kryptonite box that ah, he was looking for. Yes. And in that part of the movie, he was looking for the kryptonite box. But I was like, well, you know, that kryptonite spear or any other kryptonite can certainly, you know, go somewhere else and he needs to recover it. So maybe he, maybe that actually is what he's trying to get there again. Um, so my thought now that I'm leaning toward is that Darkseid is going to have a hand in Superman's resurrection. Mm-hmm. And that th- while that's playing out, Batman's going to gather the League. And then that scene of Superman versus Batman, um, he said, Superman said that she was my world and you took her from me. Mm-hmm. First time I heard that, I thought that meant he killed her somehow. But now I'm thinking more that, like, Lois has turned against Superman because he's gone dark Mm -hmm. and Superman's blaming Batman. And that can tie it kind of tie with what you were saying is how Batman and knowing that Lois is the key is going to go to her and they're going to work together. And whenever Superman. In a very comic book move, I might say, has been turned to evil by Darkseid. This was such a comic book movie. Yes, it was. Magnus, this was such a comic book movie. Here we are talking about a visit from Flash from the future to prevent an apocalyptic Darkseid vision from happening. I mean, how much more comic book can you get? <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, after that, it, it, is, it is pretty tough. And that was actually something that I was – really grateful for because as much as I enjoyed man of steel, there wasn't as much about that that screamed comic book to me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get as much of that this time around. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that at least a partial influence for all of that is going to be David Goyer's kind of diminished, participation in this movie he's still in it don't get me wrong he's still involved but the the degree of i don't know influence he had it looks like that's actually been radically curtailed and i i believe that the material is actually better because of it and this is i mean right down i mean one of the things that I've really be, uh, I've really come to be sort of taken by is the the Justice League members as sort of analogs of the Greek pantheon. Okay. And we get a very I, I think a very dense introduction to that here where people are starting to see uh, Superman as 
Zeus. And for those of you who are coming at this, uh, you know, this idea of, you know, Greek gods and everything, for those of you who are coming at this from less of a mythological standpoint and more of, let's just say it, sort of a Christian standpoint, keep in mind that the Greek perception of a god and what that entails is nothing like the Christian conception of God as sort of this perfect, divine, and benevolent being. Greek gods were fallible and at times kind of sons of bitches, you know, and they were not perfect. And, you know, they are worthy of, I, I guess, some amount of adulation, but, you know, watch your back, you know. And there's a little bit of that in this movie where, I guess, Zeus, for lack of a better word, yes, he's got that monument erected to him, you know, a literal monument in the form of a statue, but also sort of homage being paid to him in the form of mass media and the Daily Planet and everything. And over and against a sort of mixed reaction from the citizens. And so I guess what I'm saying is this idea of this comic book notion of these characters as Greek gods and everything is it's being incorporated into the, the DCEU. And frankly, this is something that DC can bring to the, to the table that Marvel can't. That has never been the Marvel universe. Right. And, you know, they are the relatable sort of everyman. And, that's not a metaphor, at least as far as I'm aware, that's not a metaphor that anybody's attempted to to use with the Marvel Universe, but it easily lends itself to the DC Universe. And somebody involved in this production uh, apparently agrees with all of that because we're starting to see a lot more of that in these films, and I couldn't be happier. Yeah. Yeah, the um, with, with the, with the term pantheon is often used for the cast of characters and comics and superheroes but you're right that with marvel it's really only a metaphor it's it's there's there's nothing pin pantheistic that's not the right word pantheonic i guess about about the um marvel cast of characters um you know one of the things i like about this movie is when i was when i was a kid and john i don't know if this was necessarily your adolescent experience but when i was a kid tim burton or Joel Schumacher could have made a movie of nothing but Batman beating the shit out of people. And I would have been completely happy with it, you know? Mm -hmm. And that is not all that's going on in Batman v Superman, but the fight scenes with Batman that we do get in this movie, this is what I've always wanted. They are pretty fucking phenomenal. Yes. And we got the one uh, released to us as a trailer that was very Arkham style. It's not the only style of fight that we get from Batman in this, but it was pretty intense. Yes. Um, and yeah, he is, you know, he's he's whipping the gadgets out. He's doing the smoke bombs and the ninja dives. Um, he's he's fighting smart, mm -hmm. and he's fighting in ways that Superman's not used to. So he's like, you know, I wouldn't say outsmarting Superman, but outstepping him mm -hmm. certainly. And it really, really is great. Now, I as much of that as we got in the back half of the film, I kind of wish we'd had a little more action in the first half of the film. Yes. Because, <laughs> I mean, just, not that the story we got was bad. It's just very little happens to grab your eyes in the first half of the film. Um, yeah, so much of it is set up, yeah. 
it's good setup. And and there's Diana and there's Lois and we 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 see a lot of Lois in 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 this movie. Yes, we do. Um, I don't mean that in screen time. I mean that in like you know surface area. Um, but <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, we see a lot of Lois. In fact, I think um, at one point when she leans back in the bathtub, they digitize extra cloudiness in the water just so we don't see as much of Lois as we might have done. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, so there's so much cool Batman here. I just – it's not a sin to me to see Batman – if he's in a – if he is outnumbered a dozen to one and they've got guns and he's got bats, it's not a sin to me to think that he's going to shoot some kneecaps out, yeah. you know? I don't, I don't, I don't mind that at all. Um, well, the brutality of it, you know, there's the, I guess the SEAL Team Six moment of the movie where Batman crashes through the window and then comes up through the floor and beats the crap out of that entire. I don't even know who the hell those people are, mercenaries. Yeah, they're Paris. the same Russian gang that Luthor's been using. That um, really are the connecting thread to let you know just where Luthor's connections are throughout this film. Yeah. That guy with the tattooed neck? Yeah. And Batman, at one point, cracks this guy in the face so fucking hard, the guy not only goes down, he goes down head first, and you can hear his head hit the ground like, just thwack. And, again, I mean, it just kind of speaks to that sort of juvenile, inner 12-year-old part of Magnus that loves seeing Batman, you know, kick a lot of ass. And... It's on the one hand, you know, there's fodder for your imagination, there's fodder for your intellect, and then there's fodder for the guy chromosome. I mean, that we are very well taken care of <laughs> in, in in that respect, you know, with this movie. There's, you know, I just I really dig, and one of the things that really works for me about this movie. Apparently, the comics get into this, get into certain things in in greater depth, but the trailers show a sort of burnt out Wayne Manor. Or at least a very neglected Wayne Manor. Mm-hmm. And the movie and the trailers, they all show that that sort of, I guess, graffitied Robin costume. And, you know, this is a Batman, like you were saying, who's been on the job for a very long time. But we don't get a really deep sense of this character, of this specific iteration of the character's history. And on the one hand, you know, I almost want to kind of compare it to Batman and where he was circa 1989 following the death of Jason, but before Tim Drake got involved in yeah. that kind of hopeless period of, uh, of Batman's life. But we don't really get tons of information about that. And so what that means is the inevitable solo Batman movie that comes along is going to have plenty to work with in terms of dramatic potential. This movie shows us enough to get a flavor of this character, and there is character development, but just, I guess, in terms of fleshing out his world and, and I guess, what he does, who he is, not as much of that as you might think. And I actually think that works to everything's benefit. I don't say that as a criticism at all. That's a compliment. Yeah, this movie did a similar trope to um, the last film in not necessarily lining up all the dots for you, yep. leaving a lot to your imagination. 
or at least leaving you to connect some dots without them spelling it out for you. And, and Batman's portrayal is similar in that we get hints of his history. We get enough storytelling to justify the portrayal of the character without necessarily overloading us with a Batman history and saying, and this is why he's mad. See, you know, yeah. although really we get that too, because of the whole opening sequence with Metropolis, but evidently that wasn't enough for some people to me. That spells it out. Yeah. Well, the opening scene of Metropolis spells out. This is why Batman's all jacked up inside right now. He's not your Batman because your Batman didn't have this happen to him. Well, the <clears throat> to me, it I'm one of those people I can be shown and not told something. And everything that I needed to know about Batman's motivations for most of this film, they're on Ben Affleck's face whenever he stares kind of defiantly into the sky and he hugs that little girl in the rubble of, of Wayne Enterprises in Metropolis. And it says everything that you should really need to know. Now, should you require more than that? I do think the narrative is there to help you. But really, that moment, it's not there for nothing, you know? And the most I can figure is Chris Nolan has kind of done a number on fandom to where if something is not didactically spelled out, for people, then there's a there's an entire segment of the audience that isn't going to get it because they need a scene where Bruce Wayne theatrically massages his temples and says, I seek the means to fight injustice and I must become a symbol because as a man, I can be blah, 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 fucking, I don't know, whatever, the most pretentious bullshit that I've ever heard. And less of that going on in Batman v Superman, which I think works to the material's benefit. I mean, this is a visual medium. Play with that, you know? Yeah, use it. Use the facial acting that Ben Affleck can do to to convey stuff. Speaking of facial acting, we're going to talk about Lex Luthor later because that's a face actor for you. Yeah. Well, yeah, I um, figured we could save that for the miscellaneous. Yeah, I, I just say yeah. like that. Just I just thought of that. We're gonna... <laughs> um, that's at least for you know the moment. Um, you know that's really where I'm coming from with Batman in this movie. I really, I really dig it. Do you have any parting shots with Batman you want to, you want to toss in before we move on or only that whenever I was watching this movie, I was with my uh, good friend, our both good friend, Michael Bailey, mm -hmm. and I stayed with him for the weekend and we watched Superman, the animated series, the three part world's finest episode. Mm. And, um, you know what happens at the end of that episode, Magnus? Uh, I'm blanking. Oh, well they team up that I remember, but they, they team up against Joker and Harley. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Joker and Harley are in some kind of flying vehicle and it's going down and they save Harley and they leave Joker to die in the explosion. Mm. I'd forgotten about that. It's been so long since I've seen that. Just saying <laughs> Batman totally killed the Joker. Okay. We can move on now. All right. Uh, as to Superman, one of this, not, this isn't the first time that we see Clark in the movie. Well, it's the first time we see Clark in the movie, but it's not the first time we see Henry Cavill. But there's this moment where Lois is, I guess, taking a day to just kind of, you know, pamper herself and, you know, rest and just take a day off from work. And she's in the bathtub and everything. And Clark basically just lets himself into her apartment. And he was going to surprise her with dinner. He didn't know that she was home at that moment. And so he was going to 
he was expecting to have dinner ready for her by the time she got home from work. And they fall into this very familiar sort of domesticated pattern with one another. This is not the first time they've done this. You know, they've it's it's been a year and a half since Superman's showdown with Zod and Metropolis, during which time Clark has settled in at the Daily Planet and he and Lois have settled into a, a, a relationship with one another. And you get the idea that right now Clark is in a very good place with himself, you know, and his life. He's got, I would say, probably a lot more in life than he ever counted on having in in the form of a relationship with Lois and all of that. And it's it, it's this sort of brief scene. It doesn't it doesn't drag itself out unnecessarily, but you really do get a flavor of where these two are individually and with each other in that bathtub scene. You know, I, I just, I'm not trying to beat it to death, but that scene really works for me. I really enjoyed that moment. It's an amazing bit of setup, uh, not set up so much as, well, yeah, setting up though. It's world building, I guess. Yeah. Um, showing you very quickly and a little bit startlingly. Uh, I'll, I'll admit, I did not expect to see, Clark and Lois at that point. It was fine. It it didn't bother me, but I would never, she's, I took it less of a pampering day and more of a sort of coping with the traumatic events of the, of the trip. Um, and she's quite, she's holding that bullet in her hand. She's definitely dealing with emotions, but you know, Clark walks in and walks right in on naked bathtub Lois and naked bathtub Lois is totally cool with it. Yep. And I was just like, Oh, so that's where we are now. Okay. Um, I haven't really seen this before because I wasn't really there during the whole Clark and Lois were married in the comics thing. Um, that's something I'm having to um, read, you know, 20 years later. Um, but it was really cool. And whenever Clark, like, sort of, like, goes over her to kiss her, that was a shot we had in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And I could never really read in the trailer who that was. And if I remember right, some of the scuttlebutt was that was Bruce and uh, Diana. Hmm. Um, I must have missed that. I, I never thought it was anyone but Clark and Lois. Wow. Okay. I, I, I could not make out who they were in the trailers. But um, but yeah, so Clark and Lois are, are close. Um, they rely upon each other a lot. They have an emotional bond. Um, and Superman saves her. I think he must uh, – it's hard to know how somebody with that kind of hearing goes about his life. Mm-hmm. But he seems to always be listening for Lois. It's like how um, when I'm walking around, I constantly – and just kind of like rub my thumb over my pockets to make sure my wallet's in one pocket and my phone's in the other pocket. You mm-hmm. know, just making sure – and, you know, making sure my keys are there. I just – I'm constantly doing that to making sure I didn't leave something somewhere or, or get you know ripped off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe he is just like every few minutes in his life sending out an ear for Lois. And how does he hone in on her? I got no goddamn clue. But mm-hmm. he's Superman and he can do that sort of thing. <laughs> well, and that leads into like the uh, – that uh, desert rescue that he did at the uh, at the beginning of the movie, which has caused – a small amount of controversy, and I'm convinced would have been greater if not for one line of dialogue that maybe saved Zack Snyder from a lynching. There's this moment where the terrorist has a gun pointed to Lois's head, 
and he's trying to stare Superman down. And you already know this is not going to end well for the terrorist. I mean, we know this, right? Even so, wow, Superman, he doesn't just he doesn't just take the guy out. He takes that guy the fuck out mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, crashes through a, a, a cement wall. And I'm convinced if someone in the movie and now I'm blanking on who, but if someone in the movie hadn't gone out of their way to say, well, Superman didn't kill anybody, then I think most people would have assumed the worst and accused Zack Snyder of once again putting blood on Superman's hands. I read this scene the exact same way. And it's Superman himself that says that. Clark says to uh, Lois, I didn't kill those people, and that's what they're thinking. Um, so, yeah, because I read that as, wow, you just did that guy in, didn't you? That's... <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. If, if he had, even I would have had a problem with that. So I'm glad that that little line of dialogue was in there to dispel any kind of lingering doubt. Right. But it does, like you were saying, kind of say something that this is where Superman is with Lois now, that his attention is never completely away from her. And that sort of plays into sort of the last little moments of the movie where in a kind of similar moment, Lex kicks Lois off a building and assumes that Superman is 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 going to catch her. And indeed he does, even though she doesn't. You know, this is not a, a a a cartoon where she has several minutes to fall to the ground and there's plenty of time for Superman to hear it. No, she gets kicked off the building and she has barely enough time to to scream before Superman's on the scene to catch her. And if you I love I love the way that was shot. Oh, Absolutely I did too. It. It's it, cuz it's just so sudden, you know. It mm -hmm. and that's how, you know, let's face it, in a real world that's kind of the way such a thing would play out, you know. And he didn't just like she didn't smack into his arms and stop. Mm -mm. Like they did the whole physics thing where he got underneath her at her speed mm -hmm. and then slowed them both down together and, and did like a, a swooping flight to rub off some of their uh, energy. And, and it was, it was really cool. Very, very well done. And I was talking to my brother about the scale. I think we've talked about this before, the scale that Snyder uses when he's shooting Superman. Mm -hmm. I kind of love how he pulls back all the time and lets you see that Superman is awesome, but like he's this one mighty demigod dot in a much larger world, you know? Um, but yeah, so he saves Lois and, and Superman in this, I read someone today that says, why is it that no one these days knows how to present Superman? I think Superman in this was presented great. Mm -hmm. he, he's trying his best in a world that doesn't understand him to do what's right at every single beat. He's constantly helping. He's constantly saving. And he's constantly being Superman. It's the world that has an issue with it. Yeah. And 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 the world is mixed. We get a focus on a on a small group um of 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 characters in this world, most of whom are a bit a bit iffy on Superman, such as Senator Finch and of course Lex Luthor. Um Swanwick is a bit both ways, but I think he leans pro Superman. Um and I don't know if it's just that internet 
mindset of whenever I say something, it means that that must be what everybody else is thinking as well, Mm -hmm. because my experience must be everyone else's experience. Yeah. And so we see a half dozen people who are not sold on Superman and assume that that's the way the world feels about it, when I don't really think that's the way the world feels about it at all. I think the world is largely in favor of Superman, but there are still some dissenting opinions. I kind of viewed that as a little bit of meta commentary. I mean, I don't want to bend spoons here too much, but Zack Snyder, it's not like I know the guy personally or anything. I mean, I've never met the guy, but my impression of him is that he's actually a Superman fan. You know, he likes this character. And to be a Superman fan is to, it's almost to instinctively, like almost by birthright, know what it feels like to have people look down their nose at you saying, oh, you like that? That's cute. You know, there's (laughs) this entire world of comic book fans who have, they don't have any time for Superman, you know? Um, They look down their nose at Superman. They don't understand him, etc., And I can't help but think that part of the metaphor that Snyder is working with in this movie vis-a-vis the public's reaction to Superman is in some way a little bit of the fans' reaction to Superman. And I speak here of comic book fans who are not Superman fans, you know? Right. And are they maybe in some imaginary corner of Snyder's darkest imagination, are they the naysayers in, you know, the DCEU at this juncture? And I think a reasonable argument could be made. But as far as, you know, the public's, I guess, reaction to Superman, I do like the way that you phrase it, that, you know, this movie actually presents Superman as Superman. It's the public that has all the uh, all of the issues and the problems and the and the grievances and whatnot. Why wasn't this done? Why wasn't that done? Basically, all the same things that fans are saying. You know, Superman fans now. You know, comic book fans who are Superman fans. The same things that they're saying. And so I can't help but think there's a little bit of overlap between the two. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I, I don't know if that's true, but assuming it is, you know, that's a very clever. And when you think about it. That's got the potential to telling the story in that way. It has the potential to be kind of divisive and offensive, but it's not. In a weird kind of way, Snyder kind of does the impossible by presenting, I guess, fan dissent in a way that's not demeaning or condescending. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's just, it's actually, in my opinion, a little bit on the genius side to have. The fact that a lot of people in our world are not fans of the character Superman reflected as in the world of Superman, a lot of people are not fans of Superman. Mm -hmm. I think that the general voice I've heard, even for people who are enjoying the films, is there's, there's a little bit of a wish that the people in Superman's world liked him as much as we do. Because that's what we got in Donner. Mm-hmm. That's what we got in Adventures of. That's what we got in Lois and Clark. Mm-hmm. The people in Superman's world loved Superman as much as we love Superman. Mm-hmm. 
But in the actual world, that is not the case. And in this world, that is not the case. Superman hasn't changed, though. He's still Superman. All right. Well, then let's talk about resolution. Um, in your opinion, is it possible that part of part of the intent of of Batman v Superman is a little bit of a viral intellectual bomb? You know, is this a kill shot to non Superman fans? You know, roping them into this movie where. The franchise of it, let's face it, is Superman fighting Batman. Presenting Superman in this way and then showing why Superman is awesome, is this, for lack of a better word, is this like, I guess, a sort of missionary effort on the part of Zack Snyder to open up the eyes of the movie going public? This is what Superman is and this is what he can be. This is what he can do. This is what he can stand for. And this is why you should love him. Um, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, this certainly whenever I, one of the two experiences that I had whenever I went and saw the film was a very loud and cheering crowd. Like they really liked Batman and they were very vocal about it during the fight scenes. And so when you get to the end of the film, and the only person who's giving his life here is Superman. Mm-hmm. And that's how far Superman's willing to go. He's willing to give up his world, Lois, to save his world, Earth. He's willing to lay down his life to, to, to kill the unkillable. Um, he's the only one who can do it, and so he does do it. I I like that sentiment and I like the, the self-sacrifice of it because it is very Superman. I don't think it necessarily won any hearts. <laughs> oh, well, so if, if that was what Snyder was doing, I'm not sure that it worked, but I would like to think that one little Batman fan somewhere said, you know, Superman's pretty cool. I would like to think that happened. Well, I would too, but I, don't, I, it, it, I just wanted to ask you about that. The, uh, you know, the reality is, you know, there's, you're never going to change everybody's mind, you know, so, but, well, it was worth asking. So now, uh, I guess to kind of, as far as, I guess, like the Superman issue, and there is a little bit of a pink elephant. You kind of mentioned it a second ago. Superman dies in this movie. Now, one of the suspicions that I had that I think at the time that you and I were recording the uh, the Man of Steel retrospective, I don't think it was known at the time that Doomsday was going to be in this movie. No, not at that time. But once it became clear that this character is Doomsday, it never occurred to me that Superman was going to survive the events of this movie. You know, that just that didn't cross my mind as a possibility. You know, if what you want to do is put Superman into a battle against a big heavy bruiser and have him live to tell the tale, you put him up against Bizarro or Mongol or somebody like that, you know? If you put Superman up against Doomsday in a live-action film, Superman's going to die. It's as simple as that. And so... I just... It was, I didn't expect they would go that far. I don't, I don't know why. I was just like, wow. Would they really do that now? It's kind of like the Captain America film coming up. I mean, it's Captain America Civil War, right? So mm-hmm. 
Captain America's got to die, but are they actually going to do that? And it seems a bit more believable now because we've had several Captain America films. We've had Bucky introduced. All the things are in place for the story that we already know to get played out in some fashion. Yeah. I think one big difference between the the Marvel films and the uh, Zack Snyder films is that we don't know the story Zack Snyder's telling. He's pulling lots of elements from lots of places and he pulled Doomsday out. And, And you're right. Doomsday should mean the death of Superman. I just, I didn't expect them to go there. And I was rather shocked when they did because Justice League is about to start filming and and we've heard rumors of who all is going to be involved. I don't know that anyone's ever come out and said Henry Cavill as Superman will be starring in Justice League. So I was sitting there watching the funeral and I actually started, I, I actually got upset because I was like, we've lost Superman. We've lost Superman as a film. We've lost Superman as, you know, in, in, I was feeling some of that loss. So call me, call me, you know, um, gullible or, or overly sensitive to, to movie emotions. But, you know, I'm sitting there crying in my seat because they, they, they killed Superman as, as, as a, as a future film prospect character. He's now gone. And then when they have the rocks flying up at the end, you get a little bit of hope at the end. Yes, that's going to happen. But, um, but yeah, I was surprised and sad. Well, and one of the reasons that the moment actually sort of works for me is that in the storyline called Doomsday from the comics, Superman's self-sacrifice basically played into every preconception, every assumption, every every notion of who Superman is that the that most of the citizens of the DC universe ever had. And so it was a logical thing for him to do. It just sort of confirmed who he is as a person. And it confirms who who he is as a person in Batman v Superman, but public sentiment is now very different from what it was in the comics where, yeah, Superman has his admirers, but he also has his, his share of critics. No more. The, the sense that I have of the man on the street in the in the DCEU now is that Superman has very few detractors now. And that is one of the things about this movie that plays for me and is just so fucking powerful is, number one, not just that he – in sacrificing his life, which is – those were stakes he was always willing to play for. It's just that I don't know that people ever knew that. Mm-hmm. Now they do. The other thing, though, is that he won the only victories in this movie that really matter when you think about it. You know, he didn't even know that he was competing against Lex Luthor, but indeed he was. And until the last moment, you know, he never even knew it. But he won the only victories that matter. Uh, You know, as much as anything, Lex Luthor was waging a PR war against Superman that Superman put the final word in, you know, and at the same time as all of that's going on, Superman has been elevated to such a level that now Lex Luthor can never, ever hope to touch him. And at the same time, Lex Luthor's own star has fallen, and he's never going to get that back. Superman is never going to lose the amount of goodwill that he's earned through sacrificing his life. And Lex Luthor is never going to get back where he was before 
all of this and Superman never even knew that he was competing against Lex Luthor. And if that's not how awesome Superman is, if that's not Zack Snyder all but filleting Superman, I don't know what is. I mean, what more do, what more does anybody want? You know, it doesn't get much better than that. And that's a, a kind of underappreciated aspect of this movie. I don't know that a whole lot of people are talking about, but maybe they will in the months and and in the years to come. And who knows, maybe that'll actually be explicit in the Justice League movie. Who's to say? But what I can say is that I'm sure another Superman movie is going to be made, and it's probably going to be pretty soon. And it seems reasonable to me anyway, to assume that the director is probably not going to be Zack Snyder, since I expect he's going to be busy with, you know, other projects, probably Justice League or, or what have you. And that is kind of heartbreaking because Zack Snyder has given Superman in live action so much. And to lose that voice is, to me, I assume we're going to be losing that voice and I don't. I, I'm. I'm kind of sad. I'm saddened by that. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Eventually, he is going to go off and do other things, and I, I think that the Superman we're going to get in the Justice League film is going to spend a while not being Superman, because I mean, this is just the theory I said earlier that he's going to be get raised by Darkseid. Um, and the league's going to have to go up against him. Um, so this is this is the last Superman film we're getting for a long time. And, you know, there, there, there was debate before the movie came out, Batman versus Superman, it's a Batman movie! And, and, and some people were upset it was a Batman movie, and I understand that. To me, when Superman wasn't on the screen, mm-hmm. the story was still all about Superman. And in some ways you could call it a Batman story that's all about Superman. And and so at the end of the day, this is very much a Superman movie that has brought Batman's antagonism into his life. Well, um, And of course it sets up the Justice League, hence the Dawn of Justice subtitle. Um, but this was – from the very first line of dialogue, there was a time before – um, there was a time before the arrival of Superman. Mm-hmm. All the way to the end of the movie, this was a Superman film. And I thought he did great. Well, everything in the movie affects, comes from, or relates to Superman or Lois. Or somebody, at least, that had a major impact on Man of Steel. And, you know, Batman is reacting to all of that. But there again is is the admission that this isn't Batman is driving in some ways the narrative of Batman v Superman. But it all starts from Man of Steel. And I think it was Henry Cavill who somebody said that this isn't really a sequel to Man of Steel. And I guess if if you think of that in terms of who gets top billing in the movie and who the characters in the movie are, maybe an argument could be made. But in terms of the narrative and what propels the narrative and all of those things, I don't see where it's it's up for grabs that this is, without a doubt, 
I don't know if it would be accurate to call it Man of Steel 2, but this is without question a sequel to Man of Steel, irrespective mm-hmm. of of which other characters are are you know in the movie. And I guess maybe that's a kind of interesting segue into the miscellaneous section. You know, this stuff was cool, that stuff sucked. You know, I guess in your estimation, is this a sequel to Man of Steel? in a very direct and literal sense, or is this something else? I don't mind calling it a sequel to Man of Steel at all. Um, I think back to uh, San Diego Comic-Con in, I think it was 13, when they announced that they, when they made the announcement that Batman was going to be in it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the movie was less than a month old. It was, it was, you know, hidden public mind is as big as this one is. And fans wanted to know what was next. And so Zack Snyder says, well, the sequel to Man of Steel, I've got this for you. And they douse the lights and they have, I think it's Kevin Conroy reading the lines from Dark Knight, uh, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight comic, and they put the Batman emblem on the wall. Um, but that was an answer to the question, what will be the sequel to Man of Steel? What is Man of Steel 2 going to be? It's going to be a Batman versus Superman movie. Um and yeah, this this movie follows up on the events for Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. This movie is dealing with the outlash of Man of Steel. All of um, Lex Luthor's plans are a result of Man of Steel. And and really in this movie, we are seeing the final puzzle piece falling into place of two years of machinations from Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. And that puzzle piece that falls into place is radioactive metal fallout from Man of Steel. So, yeah, to me, it's it's a Man of Steel sequel. Um, does it have the right name? I think so. I think Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice fits this movie perfectly. But, yeah, to me, in my mind, sequel to Man of Steel. Mm. Not a problem. Right. I, I tend to agree with that. I just want to see what you think. Now, you kind of touched on this uh, uh, a minute ago. Lex Luthor is it's not really made manifest until nearly the end of the movie, but he's the guy behind the scenes who, unbeknownst to the viewer, unless you're really sharp and you pay a lot of attention, unbeknownst to the viewer, he's the one that's actually secretly gumming up the works. He's the one that's antagonizing Superman, and he's antagonizing Batman, and he's playing both sides against each other, but from behind the scenes. And... Part of his ability to do this is that he knows damn good and well that Superman is, in fact, Clark Kent and Batman is, in fact, Bruce Wayne. And this is not an idiot Lex. This is a Lex who can see the strings on the puppets and doesn't mind. It took me – I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to interject. It took me a while to realize that he knew that from before the movie started. But, but yeah. Go ahead. You're what you're saying. Yeah, and the reason that plays for me – is at least as far I've, I don't see why he'd give a damn about about you know threatening Batman or anything like that, and he may actually be very reluctant to do that just for self preservation. So it makes sense that he wouldn't squeal about Batman's secret identity because how badly do you want to piss this guy off? As to Superman, this is I, I've been kind of a cheerleader for Lex knowing Superman's secret identity. And what if we're talking about the John Byrne iteration of Lex Luthor, this is a guy who would destroy Superman. He would kill the Kent 
the the Kents, you know, Jonathan and Martha, he would kill them and he'd be happy to do it. You know, that that depiction of Lex Luthor would never draw the line at simply knowing the secret, but staying kind of hands off. He would press his advantage in order to destroy Superman. My conception of Lex, though, is that he would know, like if he were to know who Superman's secret identity is, that would be interesting trivia, perhaps. But I don't think he would press his advantage on that because ultimately once what, what he wants to do, he wants to not destroy Superman as such. He wants to defeat Superman in the court of public opinion. He wants the public to acknowledge who the better man is. Mm-hmm. And exposing his secret identity gives Superman a kind of unnecessary handicap. Lex wouldn't want him to have that kind of indulgence. He would want, and it, it's, it's kind of meaningless anyway to him. I mean, it's, again, it's trivia. It's nice to know, but it doesn't fundamentally doesn't change anything that what we see in Batman V Superman is a Lex who wants to be seen as the bigger, better, more powerful, more influential man and the fact that he knows that Superman is Clark Kent, thats I guess that's knowledge that he values and he doesn't look down his nose at. He's not motivated by that. It's not, it's not his, his nuclear option. That's not his doomsday weapon, so to speak. And I've always found that to be a very persuasive depiction of Lex Luthor. In his purest, I don't think Lex would, would press his advantage on that because it's kind of a cheap shot, and that's not that's not the kill shot he's necessarily going for. You know? Mm-hmm. It I guess what I'm saying is it plays for me that this incarnation of Lex, number one, he knows the truth, and number two, that's not his path to victory. He's chosen another way because to him, that's the more important victory. Yeah. Um I I like I don't want to say this. I feel like we we go into this film and if you've read the right Superman comics, you already know that Lex Luthor has a disgust for Superman on several levels. Yes. And you can read that into the performance mm-hmm. to inform the opinion mm-hmm. of why Lex Luthor hates Superman so much. Without that reading, you get the emotion without a whole lot of the reason why. Um, and he he seems to hate metahumans in general. Yes. He seems to hate all metahumans. They're walking among us. In fact... His mention of the Greek gods and how metahumans could be the Greek gods, I think, was a direct reference to the Wonder Woman concept that we're going to get in the next film. Mm-hmm. In her film, I mean. Um, the idea that, you know, Amazons, Themyscirians, and whatever did feed into mankind's myths about the world. Yes. Um, but Superman seems to be one that he particularly hates, and he's been crafting a plan on on how to take that person down along the way he has found others and he's been monitoring people he has facial recognition software to link diana prince the parisian banker 
to Diana Prince, the 1918 World War I warrior. Um, nice touch, by the way. Fucking great touch. Yeah. This man will put Clark Kent and Superman together in the beat of a heart. He will have no problem doing so. Now, we saw through the film that, generally speaking, photography of Superman is always distant and low res. Mm -hmm. We saw that Superman presents himself to the world as this way up in the sky hovering figure. Actually, it kind of reminded me of that fan-made video from a couple years back of, like, the flying man who was, like, killing people. Mm. It is, like, this, like, black shadowy flying man. I don't know if you saw that or not. Mm -mm. But Superman is just this, like, when 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 he arrives at the Senate hearing, he doesn't arrive and walk down and say hello to everybody and get picture taken. He lands and goes right in and doesn't really give anyone a chance to see his face. And when, of course, when you're inside the hearing, there's no photography. Right. Um, so, and yet, if there is a photograph to be had of Superman, you know that Lex Luthor is the man who can get that photograph. Yes. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't mind at all that Lex Luthor knows that Clark Kent is Superman. I do not mind at all that Lex Luthor has figured out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. And maybe Lex Luthor, like you suggested, knew that Bruce Wayne was Batman a long time ago and just never had cause to go after it. In fact, you almost get a hint of an idea that he'd rather team up with Batman than go against him. Yes. Uh, he wants Bruce Wayne to come down and play with his R&D. And that's not a euphemism. Um, <laughs> so he's he's using Batman to to stir up the pot against Superman, both in Batman's mind and in Superman's life. And whenever he finally finds a weapon to put in Batman's hands at the beginning of this film, um, that's when he makes his move. Now, getting access to the scout ship opened up a bucket of gravy on the side with the whole doomsday concept, but he was moving forward without that concept. He was going to have Batman fight Superman. And the movie would have gone very differently whenever Batman and Superman teamed up against Lex Luthor and he didn't have Doomsday Uterus beside him. Yeah, let's talk Let's talk about something. That leads into it, – it, it, it's a line of dialogue that was included in the trailers, but the – I guess the fullness of it was sort of lost on me at the time. But listening to this line of dialogue uh, in context – it does kind of shine a light on character motivations in a diff- in a way that's different from what I was expecting. And the line of dialogue goes a little something, something like this. Basically, Lex says, if man won't kill God, then the devil will do it. Now, God is represented in this case by Superman, which logically leaves Batman to fill the role of, of man. And at that point right. in, in the narrative... It's not that Batman failed to kill Superman. It's that there was a meeting of the minds at the moment it needed to happen the most. He failed to fulfill Batman's role for him in his plan. I mean, Bruce, uh, Lex Luthor's role for him in his plan. Exactly that. And so Lex is doing his Dr. Frankenstein bit where he's, he's pulling levers and tossing switches and all of that stuff. And it's alive. It's alive. And like I say, Superman... That's that in Lex's little metaphor here. That's God man. 
That's Batman. So who's the devil? Is it Doomsday? Or is it Lex himself? Hmm. And it's just little moments like that that make the movie just kind of sing for me, you know? And there's something there to chew on because now the viewer can ask himself, who, who's the the real evil here? I mean, because when you think about it, Doomsday is just a is just a mindless force of destruction. He's doing what he's been genetically programmed to do, and by definition, there's really not a whole lot of malice there, simply because of the fact that how much sentience is there, you know. Lex is different. He knows damn good and well what he's doing. Who's the devil here? You know, it just right. makes you wonder. No, that's good. That's good. I mean, I imagine that Luthor would say he meant the monster, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't. Yeah, that's not necessarily supported by the narrative. Now, is it? You know, right. if, anyway, it's. And it is there's a degree to which it is kind of a throwaway line of dialogue, but sometimes those throwaway lines of dialogue can really tell you something about the characters and and how how they're viewing their world and their situation. And seeing it in context, it really was kind of a punch in the boys to to when you start asking yourself when you when you start filling in the pieces, two of those kind of speak for themselves. The third one being as ambiguous as it is to me, that's good writing, you know. And, you know, you can you can have, I guess, analyses and perceptions of things. And it, it's all I don't know it, it. The power of that plays for me. And with respect to anyone listening who has a different opinion, I don't understand why it is that I should overlook all of that stuff simply because of the fact that somebody has a personal grudge against Jesse Eisenberg. You know, I mean, if you don't like him as an actor, I guess that's fine. But what we're seeing in this movie is a Lex who kind of has a secret identity of his own, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And he's Lex Luthor throughout. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't become Adam Man at some point or another. But what we see is Lex Luthor, the public figure, who goes out of his way to sort of be a little bit scatterbrained, a little bit goofy, and somebody who never takes any situation that he's in too seriously behind closed doors though the mask slips and this sort of mr nice guy silly guy public figure he goes away and those same quirks those same mannerisms are still there but they're replaced now by a by a person that's a lot darker uglier right you know and the performance is effectively it's the same it's the things that he says that change and you could read it that basically superman is driving this man more and more insane as the film progresses and this is a i mean i would almost go so far as to call it stalking this is a degree of obsession that i don't know that even batman can quite match you know this overriding hatred because i mean if you hate something or someone to such a degree that it dominates your every waking moment every thought you have every action you take everything you say that's hate and i don't know why but for some reason 
I find his performance to be very effective. You know, it, if what you're looking for is the cool calculating businessman of Superman, the animated series, well, you're out of luck. Or if you want the kind of, the kind of suave, almost sexy kind of Lex Luthor from Smallville, you're not going to get that. Or if what you want is more of like the Richard the Third, let the games begin type of John Shea Lex Luthor from Lois and Clark, you're not getting that either. This is a this is like Lex Luthor as filtered by Mark Zuckerberg, you know. And I don't know why, but this is a this is I don't know if there's any single way to do Batman. I don't know if there's any single way to do Superman. There is certainly no single way to do Lex Luthor and. I'm hoping that the legacy of Batman v Superman is showing that, you know what, there's more than one way to portray Lex Luthor. Like, what do you think? Yeah, his portrayal is, and it's very, um, I think unique is a good word for it. I haven't seen Lex Luthor done this way before. But um, after his first scene, Lily leans over to me and says, I kind of love Lex Luthor. And... um, and he is he is very endearing in both his mania and his ever so slightly submerged malice because that's one thing you get in this is you is when things don't go his way it is all he can do to hold his shit together yes um and i didn't I didn't take his sort of scatterbrain behavior as intentional. I took it as actually he's he's a, just a little bit off his rocker. Yeah. But in a way that is kind of normal, that, that people are just kind of, you know, they're not always able to present themselves in public well, only in his case, normal also comes with a slice of killing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it, it was it was a very, a very cool portrayal for me to see. Um, I heard somebody call him the Joker. I think that is way oversimplifying both Jesse's performance and your concept of the Joker. Yes. Because um, I, I, I don't think, I mean, I don't think that smiling while you're angry makes you the Joker. No. And I, yeah, I think you're right. That sort of betrays a kind of simplistic view of who the Joker really is. I mean, this is a guy who... I mean, Mercy Graves is in this movie and, you know, I mean, who among us ever thought that we'd see that? But this is a guy who he's known Mercy probably for a lot of years. I mean, I think you could reasonably interpret Mercy has probably worked for him for a very long time. And, you know, I don't probably worked for him. Yeah. And there, yeah, there there is certainly that. I mean, you do kind of you do have to wonder about that. You know, this whole idea of a personal assistant, you know, how much do they assist you? But he was ready, willing, and able to sacrifice her in the bombing of the Senate just to implicate Superman. He ne- It never crossed his mind that he was going to be taking Superman out alongside Mercy. He was doing this specifically to, if well, maybe not implicate Superman, but definitely smear Superman. Mm-hmm. And I got I to gotta say, just kind of as a side note, the actress who plays Mercy... Uh, her name is Tao Akamoto. She's a very strange looking woman, you know, and I, 
that, in all the best ways, though. I mean, yeah, like, it's like you can't take your eyes off her. But there's this moment. I forget. And she is tall. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I was going to go. I mean, there's this moment. I forget where, but you see like you you see a lot of her kind of, I guess, from the waist up. And, you know, all due respect, she she almost looks sort of like another Asian woman, another Japanese woman. What do you want to hear? But there's this moment, though, where you actually see her in silhouette and she's wearing this really tight dress or tight clothes at any rate. And you get an idea of just she's really fucking tall. She's got this very lanky kind of spindly looking build. She's a very interesting looking woman. I don't mean this unattractive. I'm not saying that. Just very odd looking. And it sounds like that's an insult. I don't mean it that way. I just don't know how else to say it. She's very strange looking and yet can't take your eyes off her. Go figure. Right. But Lex was willing to kill her simply to fuck Superman's day up. And that is sick. That is sick. And that is an incredibly powerful moment whenever, like of the movie, when you start thinking of what Lex was willing to sacrifice. Uh, Not just human life, which is bad enough. Life, this is the life of somebody he's known and has worked for him for a very long time. I mean, I don't think most people are really ready to take human life, no matter the circumstances, maybe not even in self-defense. I don't think most people are ready to do that. But I really don't think most people are ready to take human life just to kind of throw it away so casually, just to fuck somebody else's day up. I mean, Lex is so far... I mean, he has crossed so many moral lines before the movie even starts that whenever you really start thinking about what this guy is willing to do to achieve his ends. I mean, when you think about it, if you unleash Doomsday, you willingly unleash Doomsday, especially this iteration of Doomsday on planet Earth. There really is no plan B to take Doomsday down. I mean, you're pretty much burning this bitch down. And sooner or later, Doomsday is going to come for you. It's just a matter of time, you know? Lex was willing to throw his own life away to destroy Superman. I mean, that is that is sick. That is dark. That is hate. That, in a weird kind of way, is who Lex is. You know? And, and that's not necessarily, you know, going to quite that extent, that's not necessarily the way I like seeing Lex being done. But it is honest in terms of who Lex is in this movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's in keeping with things we've seen before, such as the post-crisis Lex Luthor, who every issue had a different girl helping him. Yes. What happened to all those girls? Um, Well, some had very bad ends. (laughs) Right. We we talked about one of them. No. um, But, you know, the, the... Mercy Graves, I believe, was introduced in Superman, the animated series. Correct. And there, Lex Luthor had one assistant, Mercy Graves, who was always there. Yes. Um, and she's she's kind of an endearing character because she's someone you saw a lot of. But I don't think that's in keeping with the Lex Luthor from the comics from the time. And certainly this Lex Luthor who hired Mercy Graves and used her for a while did not mind discarding her for his larger purpose of taking down a metahuman. Yes. And I'm just going to pause right there to to reiterate something for earlier. I think that if he were living in the same city as some other metahuman, 
I think this Lex Luthor will be targeting that one. I don't know that necessarily there's as much of a I hate Superman specifically and he's my he's the source of all my vitriol type of thing in this movie but that's just that's the one that he's living with that's the one that he knows about and that's the one he's going to try to take down well and let's face it superman has had a little bit more of a direct influence on lex luther than have other metahumans my right. personal and I, there's really nothing i can base this on this is just me reading between the lines my personal guess is that lex may have started with Superman, but once Superman was out of the picture, it would have been just a matter of time before he... That's why he had the database. Yeah. And sooner or later, he would have come a-knocking on the Flash's door, on Diana's door, on, you know, everybody. You know, Aquaman, he would have figured out something there, too. You know, sooner or later, they all would have come into Lex's crosshairs. And again, Superman has laid the foundation for their... I can't say salvation, but for their their long-term prospects. He's basically taken them out of danger they didn't even know they were in. And speaking of which, the movie ends with Lex as... It started with him as sort of, you know, big corporate titan guy. Ends with Lex as basically, you could say, the renegade scientist. What are your thoughts on that? And after this, we do kind of need to start wrapping up because I'm coming up against your limit. Um... Yeah, he reminds me of a li- a little bit, at least in the shape of this of the narrative, of the Lex Luthor from um, early in the New Fifty Two run, mm-hmm. because in Grant Morrison's Action Comics from five years ago, we see Lex Luthor helping take down Superman, and eventually, Superman is able to figure out, oh wait, this guy's a piece of shit. <laughs> and he puts him in jail. <laughs> and and when we get to present day Lex Luthor, he's still in jail. There's not the in and out revolving door Lex Luthor jail situation that we had in previous histories, which is not to say it's better or worse than that because that was a product of repeated storytelling. This is a product of a condensed timeline being caught up on in a very short period. Yes. Um, but in this movie, we have Lex Luthor. He's risen up through the ranks He's been doing crap for a long time now. He makes his move. It goes bad. He's in prison. And that's where he's going to be now. And I'm okay with that. I also wonder just just how long he was being manipulated by Darkseid. Well, I suspect that uh, we're probably going to get some kind of insight into that in future films. And I guess speaking of which... And I, maybe this is a good place to kind of put a pin in the conversation. Where do you see the future going with these films? You know, what does what what is the future going to bring for the DCEU? Uh, well, we have Wonder Woman's solo film coming up. Yes. And that's, I think, largely going to be a flashback. I think that's going to tell us why she left mankind after a century of horrors. I couldn't tell her line if she was saying she turned her back after a century of horrors or she turned her back on a century of horrors. It was kind of like coding the whole 20th century in that label. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't tell. But, you know, we're going to get the story of, of how and why she left. Maybe it's going to be laced with modern day stuff. But I think 
ancient Amazons and World War One are enough time periods. Mixing in modern day stuff might be too much. Um, we have Suicide Squad, which is going to be a little bit of this Batman. Yeah, can't wait. I am so looking forward to that friggin' movie, dude. Yeah, I, I really am too. Um, and then Justice League is going to come along. Batman has been told by the Flash, you need to find us. You need to find us. And he's been told by Alex Luthor that he is coming. So Bruce Wayne's like, I've got to get everyone together because we've got to fight. And that's going to be Justice League. And I, I, like I said earlier, I think in Justice League, Superman's going to rise. I suspect with the help of Darkseid and that he's going to be bad for a while, at least, at least in the first Justice League film. Hopefully not in both. Hopefully not. Because yeah. I would like to see Superman be Superman again. All right, cool. Well, um, before I have you uh, t- uh, tell everybody where they can find you, you know, other shows that you do, I just want to take a moment to, again, number one, thank you for all of the time that you've donated uh, to this mega series because I've got a pretty decent insight on what this mega series would have been without your participation. It would have been a different and I would say lesser series. So thank you very much for all of the time that you've donated. And second of all, thank you specifically for taking the time today because I know beyond any shadow of a doubt there have got to be 10 or 12 other things that you could be and maybe would prefer to be doing right now but you're here with me anyway still donating your time and I just want to let you know I owe you more than I'm probably ever going to be able to pay back thank you so much for uh, spending this time with me and for making this mega series so much more than I ever thought it, it, it could possibly be thank you for being my friend yeah, oh, yeah, it, it, it's 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 one of the really coolest things that I've gotten to do as a podcaster. Uh, I've said this on Facebook that that retrospective we did mm-hmm. is one of my proudest moments in podcasting. So I, I really am grateful for getting to be able to do that with you. Um, and this is this has been really cool. And I wish that my schedule today allowed a little bit more freedom and. Because we really didn't only scratch the surface on Wonder Woman just now at the end, and she yeah. was she was a standout feature of this film. Um, Perfectly but, handled in, in the narrative. I, you know, she, we got just enough of her, mm-hmm. but I, you know, it does kind of prime the pump a little bit for the Wonder Woman solo movie. And you're right. I mean, there's so much more to say just about who she was in this movie, and maybe someday we'll get a chance to do that. It's just, you know, we've got a, you know, we, we, we've got one must prioritize here. So uh, unfortunately, this is going to be kind of it. But uh, now, do you have any other closing thoughts on Batman v Superman before you mention your shows? I really, really liked it. Um, it broke some of my expectations. It didn't do some things I thought it would do. It, it did some things I didn't expect it to do, but I came away really liking it. And on repeat viewings and seeing how some of the pieces fit together from the outset, I liked it even more. My kids both liked it. Um, they enjoyed it. I, I was able to talk the younger one through some of the you know less active parts, and he came out feeling pretty excited. Um, he... Uh, he was sad to see Superman die. Um, 
Kane and was uh, Lily was like, I loved Batman and loved Lex Luthor and didn't cry when Superman died. Am I a terrible person? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, no, you're just the wrong kind of fan. That's all. I might have to disown you. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, it was a it was a great movie. I'm really looking forward to more. I do wish that, or, or rather, I'll say it this way. I am a bit saddened that so many Superman fans are not finding what they're liking here. Because there's so much to like. And I'm sad that the people are not able to enjoy it. I, I suspect it's a little bit of a conflict between what they're wanting and what they're getting. Mm-hmm. So their expectations are not being met. But for whatever reason they're not liking it and that does make me sad because this is this is some good stuff it's great comics it's just a different kind of thing that Marvel's doing and that's okay but I've rambled Agreed. well uh, before we call it a day uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you you know the other shows that you do uh, today is March 28th and on March 31st episode 3 of Giant Superman is coming out Woo-hoo! giant superman podcast i do with bob fisher once a month which is excellent by the way thank you thank you we'll be looking at the first half of the second giant superman annual um uh, so there's be some nice silver age talk there mm-hmm. probably gonna have another similar conversation with him later this week um and maybe one or two others so we may be doing a special episode there, also talking about batman superman Dawn of justice so um, that's coming up and that's at giantsuperman.libson.com and at this point I think that's the only thing I want to talk about cool. alright well either way thank you again for all of the time that you've donated specifically again thank you for joining in today and that guys is basically it for the Batman Superman mega series that I've been working my way through and next week I'm going to start talking about the <laughs> Smallville Phase 2, the first part of the dreaded fourth season. So, got that coming up, but I think that's pretty much it for me this week. So, bye everybody, I will see you next week. (sighs) Fucking put a pin in it, dude, we are finally done. (laughs) 